0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Hello, Kirsty Melville here with the History Listen. And in this episode of our summer season of music stories, we're off to the rugged west coast of Tasmania to hear from the miners who tell their lives in verse and in song.
2: The trees lean east in a barking dog town. The wind howls from the west on the frost-covered ground. And a dozen barking dogs is an all-day sound There's a local gossips barked around. Well, good times came and went with a mining game, and now a dozen miners' huts remain and a dozen barking dogs on chain. Barking dogs are all the same. They wake up from a midnight dream, barking loud at things unseen, and sounds not heard by ears less keen. Barking dogs are quick and mean. Sometimes men behave the same, straining on their length of chain, trying hard to stake a claim, barking loud without no gain.
1: The history of mining on the west coast of Tasmania is a saga of booms and busts. It's a region rich in the minerals with which we're familiar, gold, silver, copper, zinc, lead and tin, and also some that we don't know much about like osmiridium and crocite. So let's head to Tasmania's west coast mining communities of Rosebury, Zeon and Queenstown and to the ghost town of Williamsford to hear from the men and women who carry on this rich cultural seam of storytelling in verse and in song.
2: My name's Richard Wolfe, I'm 59 years old, and we're in the West Comet Crokite mine at Dundas, which is near soon on the west coast of Tasmania. The crocite bug is nearly as bad as the opal bug or gold fever. We have crocite fever, big red crystals in black cavities underground that'll drive you crazy. And I've had two croquite leases and I've worked on other leases for people. I'm here today at Rod's loose in the West Comet, giving him a bit of a hand. I came to this region in 1985. Go west, young man, was kind of the theory. I wanted to get a high-paid job, so I did come up here pretty much for the money. But the West Coast, I like this region a lot and I like the mining culture, but I also like the natural environment here. Well, I know that sounds like a contradiction, but it, it kind of isn't. Definitely, I've been inspired by what I've done in the, in the industry here. I know how hard it is. I know how wet and cold and hot and dirty and exhausted that miners get. And it is a source of inspiration. It's a bit like country and western music. You know, the farm's busted, the dog's run away, the wife's left me, but mining, it's kind of a bit more tragic. And uh, (laughs) it's not that I sort of focus on that type of feel for my work, but that is a feel in this industry. I've always sort of had a feeling there's a little bit of sadness about single men working up in a mine, trying to get ahead in their life, trying to make some money, trying to stake a claim, trying to buy some land, trying to bring their family up but they're away working in the mine. So there's a duality there of you feel gratified that you've succeeded financially but you feel disappointed that you're not succeeding in other ways, you know. I've always felt there's a little bit of sadness in that whole scenario. I staked my claim on a mine of love, where I dreamt to reap the richest of And though I worked from dawn till dusk, the love ran out and my claim went bust. So in a canvas swag I rolled my life, I left my heart where I left my wife, I wandered west where sad men go, to work out me days in a mining show. Now me fingernails are broken, me hands are rough and sore. I've been an air-leg miner since 1984. I've had some damn good contracts and I've suffered bad ones too. I've always made me money cause me drilling straight and true. They call me Johnny Gambler, cause gambling is me game. I work hard for me money, but I spend it just the same. I'll spend it on the horses or in a two-up school. I'll play a hand of poker, I'm anybody's fool. I work under the mountains where the air is damp and cold and I dream of love and comfort, like some men dream of gold. I work in dangerous company, but Lord, I pray to thee, that a woman's arse and a whiskey glass will be the death of me.
0: I'm Nick Hagarth, I'm based in Launceston. My abiding interest in the stories of the West Coast started with family stories of places like Magnet and Waratah. Two families from which I'm descended, the Humphreys and the Grosses, had miners, prospectors, on the Osmeridium fields in the 1920s. And there was this story about Frank Hazel Humphreys. Hazel Humphreys, the transgender uh, woman, man, on the Osmeridium fields. I, I learned a lot about that aspect of my family history and uh, in the process learning an enormous amount about the West Coast and its European development. Tasmania had this ally called Osmeridium, Osmium and Iridium. The Osmeridium that was found particularly in the Savage River area and later at Adamsfield was perfect for tipping the nibs of gold fountain pens. And at that time, during the 1920s, there was a huge market for fountain pens across the world. So Osmeridium was worth a lot more than gold. And so there was a terrific opportunity for a lot of people. I think poetry and song uh, had a variety of purposes. Writing poems is a way of generating community spirit. And what you find a lot of these poems is descriptions of the hardships, of getting up when it's cold, when life is going to be muddy and, and wet. I don't think it's any coincidence that... There are common names for places on mining fields. Misery Creek, Poverty Gully, Mosquito Creek. On the 19-mile Osmeridium field, there's a creek called Linger and Die, (laughs) which is a very rueful way to express what it was like to be an Osmeridium digger. But there's still this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. That's what all the hardship is endured for. Often there'll be people named, people that the, the writer knows. As an historian, I find it frustrating because... Some of the people, you cannot figure out who they are. Now, Pegleg Ted and Stanton, well, they're very easy to identify, but Old Stringy Bark and Natty Tom the Nark, you wouldn't know who they were. Anyway, I don't know who Crazy Sam the Loma was. I don't know his name. But this is the final stanza. I think Sam was a Jonah for misfortunes he had seen, and his labours for the Aussie seemed in vain. He found it and he lost it, if you know just what I mean. In case you don't, I'll make an effort to explain. He was taking loams from a piece of ground outside his claim one day and panning off the loamings in a dam. Some old hands watching every move from a camp not far away were a little too experienced for our Sam. It's actually well-written poetry, I think. It gives you a terrific insight into some of the people and and the hardships and the privations and the, the joys of being there.
3: My name is Leonard I'm trapped in this hellhole I'm cold and I'm hungry And sick to my soul I'm waiting for rescue From the smoke and the gases To hug Louisa and Violet My one heart-filled goal If I ever see daylight I'll make them a promise To ne'er leave again Without bidding farewell My pride and opinion They now count for nothing I'm left here to languish in my own private hell.
4: My name's Kerry Maguire. I describe myself as a singer, but only fairly recently as a songwriter. And I didn't start writing songs, really, until I went to the West Coast. Someone asked me, when I decided I would go to the West Coast to live, uh, someone said, why do you want to live there as the asshole of the state? And I replied to them with a song that I wrote, which which is about the beauty of it. And the fact that I've always loved the mining songs that I've heard. They are tragic. There's something about a tragic song that gets to me. And we'd hear quite a bit of that kind of song in Rosebury. In October in 1912, a fire started in the pump house at the North Lyle mine. And there were people who noticed the smoke but they weren't particularly worried because they thought it's a wet mine, it's it's lined with King Billy Pine, and it's constantly wet, there's always water dripping. And so they didn't imagine a fire could ever take hold, but uh, it did. And um, as a result of that fire, at the end of two or three days, they knew that there were 42 dead. Some of those bodies were down there for five months. I found myself going to the museums in Queenstown and at Zeon, and I read some of the stories, letters from people who were descendants of some of the people who died in that underground fire. And so I just turned it into a song.
3: It's 19 and 12, and the year of the fire, they're flooding. The, mine. the green waters rise higher, the men trapped inside hear a heavenly choir, as their souls left their bodies behind them.
5: My name's Peter Winch School, I'm at Williams Ford, and I'd like to have a bit of a wander around. Um, I can tell you where the post office was, the billiard room, the state school. Now there was a number of houses here. This house was where I was conceived, for the want of a better word. I think there was two houses along this edge. If if all those ghosts could line up going down the street and people wa- would drive past and they say, well that all these people live here, but they didn't only live here, they worked here, they worked hard, they played hard, but they were an integral part of Tasmania's mining history. If it's raining today, it's not surprising, states the plaque at the end of the street, as I do my yearly sojourn, where families and school children did meet. I half expect my long past dad to step out from behind a tree. Don't let Williams Ford die, my boy. These stories are to you from me. My father used to write poems nearly all my life. I'd see my dad writing poetry in front of a fire of the night after tea. We had lights, but you know, pretty poor lights in front of a fire. He used to write poetry with a carpenter's pencil, of all things. Uh, And he had quite a number, I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 poems. And when he passed on, I sort of wasn't interested and I think I only ended up with one poem out of it. But the poetry thing had always been a little bit of a passion thing of mine and I consider myself a storyteller in verse. I, I suppose in a lot of my poetry, I tell the history of where I lived, the towns that I lived, where I walked the mountains. All I can do is tell things the way that I used to see it. And I call this poem, If You. If you was to rise early on a summer Saturday morning and cockaneer due west, you'd hear the sound of those men at work and a cross cut at its best. If you made your way down the wee Georgie line with its rails so shiny and warm, dogged in place on Surrey Top as they were before I was born. If you was to amble through any muddy gully river flat or rocky ridge, along a well-worn sniggin' track badger run or burnt out bridge. If you gazed around for sign of smoke where a fire had long been lit, with its billy of tea and its enamel cup and a hot rock bus would sit. If you took some note as you perused about how those woodhookers plied their trade, a couple of wedges and a six-foot bar barry's mate the smithy made. If you hopped upon a mossy stump where time had worked its best and looked out over that bracken ridge for the woodcutters to abreast. If you waited till the last of the ebony tea was down and that ciggy smoke to their end, just loading the waiting flatbed, to be pushed by Wee Georgie, those homewood bends.
2: I heard that whistle blowing, oh, the platform crowd was growing. I heard that engine humming. You know we Georgie's coming here. Be bringing wine and whiskey, oh Tobacco plugged and twisted, he'll Be bringing flour for pastries, oh And pretty lace for ladies I just want that scented litter, oh I hope I don't regret her, oh I heard that whistle blowing. Oh. When I worked underground and I had many hours operating a machine that I operated for many years it did get to a stage where I could kind of build him sleep almost. And uh, at that time, I did wander off and start coming up with verse or singing underground. That machine's quite loud. I could sing at the top of my lungs and hardly hear it, so I've developed quite a loud singing voice. (laughs) And uh, also, because it was 12 hours a day, I had plenty of time to consider verse and to rhyme and make things up in my mind without being distracted by what my hands were doing. I normally come up with one line and a subject. And then from there, I suppose that's how everyone does it. Uh, you, You build on that and build on it. So I might develop a couple of lines, one shift, and then maybe a couple of days later, I'll come back to it and do the next verse, and then the next verse, and do it all mentally. I couldn't just write these verses without the experience and without the knowledge, I like to put a bit of industry jargon into them and keep them fairly authentic, and you wouldn't be able to do that if you hadn't worked in this industry. So yeah, the mining bush poet, it is a thing. (laughs) Mining, mate, it's quite a game, and all tonnes equal should weigh the same. But when payday comes, I'll make a claim and the numbers won't be quite the same. You can stamp your foot until you're lame. Ask them if they have no shame. They'll rip you off just the same while arguing that you're to blame. Mining and mate, it's all done by eye. But all said and done, the tape measure don't lie. When payday comes, I'll make it try. In a foot or two, they will deny. No matter how you howl and cry, they'll happily sit back and lie. They'll say you're leaving butts behind or anything to rob you blind.
6: My name's Tony Newport and uh, I was born on the west coast and right now I'm here on the old Mount Lyle mine site. My family, my mother and my grandmother in particular were great readers. Um, We had Banjo Patterson and Henry Lawson books at home, and there was a sense in which you could quote those poems and lots of people knew them. And I think uh, instinctively uh, a lot of the kinds of poems that come out of mining towns and out of Rosebery and Queenstown, they're like ballads, they could also be sung. And uh, the great Les Murray, I once heard him say that poems were meant to be recited and uh, he rather liked the sound of the language on the tongue. Like a lot of young blokes and young women, I dabbled in poetry. um, I've always been the kind of person to maybe write my thoughts down or recognise in the characters of the people that I lived and worked with that perhaps there was a funny story here and there or something worth writing about. When I first came back here and started working underground, The system that they had back in the 70s, they had two-man parties. So I got picked to work with a fella called Brian Dick, whose nickname was Porky. He had started his working life, working the eight-hour day, all-day shift. And round about the early 70s, the EZ company introduced two shifts, day and afternoon. Porky finds himself on afternoon shift, which he hates. And in particular, the shift he hated the most was payday afternoon shift which the miners used to call the good one. When you're working underground, you like a night out on the town at the end of the working week. You're bored and fired and work your stope, smoke and dust about your throat. You've earned all your pay and keep. Hop on top, you wash and scrub. Then you're off to the pub, happy your day is done. On the way out you pass, Porky looking all downcast. His day has just begun, for Porky's on the good one. He's got his hat and his plan on, he won't be spending his pay. His mates are drinking beer and rum, he's at work while they're having fun, pokey's on the good one today. His shoulders slump and his face is bleak on day shift, he'd be given cheek, his mood goes from bad to worse. When I up and die, says he, they'll take me to the cemetery in the afternoon shift. Heard. Then he's in for a fright If he meets St. Peter on a Friday night For this is what he'll say I'm sorry, mate, but the gates are locked We knocked off at four o'clock Heaven's an eight day Yes, heaven's an eight
7: I'm Kim McDermott, 67 years old, fifth generation West Coaster. Most of our families, our dads worked away in the bush and there was only dinner with the kids and mum at home. Sometimes, very rare occasions, we'd get the radio, but apart from that there was, there was only mum's story telling him I, I used to be enthralled listening to mum and my grandmother telling us stories about how it was. And it, that was missing for some time when uh, a lot of different people came to Rosebury and it slowly evolved as as we got older and it was brought back in when the Rosebury Festival started. Other people started telling stories and basically it was a demand of Paul O'Brien who said you know everybody's got to write a poem otherwise you're not going to you're not going to be part of the festival so we started writing poems in competition Uh, and then it, it Sort of got out of hand. We had Poets Corner, then, then you'd have people walking up and down Main Street of Rosemary we just expounding poems to just to prove that they was better than the other guy. Does it ever bloody stop? I wailed as the rain kept teeming down. First misty drizzle, then sleet and hail, the trademark of Rosemary Town. I like the rain, says Darcy, my bro, as he wound the window down. It gets rid of the bloody morons, Turk, and the dickheads from our town.
8: My name's Ariel Pascoe. I started in the mining industry in 2011, pretty much third year uni. Working at Henty Mine and Savage River and at Port Ladder, the best part about it was the sense of community and you feel like one of the pieces of the machinery. The environment was just a much more interesting environment to get song ideas and poetry from compared to say if you're working in an office in town. I mean there's only so much you could write about working in an office in town. I wrote Mining Town when I was working Queenstown over the summer and it's this this drizzle, this permeating drizzle that happens most of the time. It rains a lot, but people don't go there for the weather. People go there for the, for the gold and the copper and the lead and the mine, so it's raining again in the mining town, but the orb is all but dry. Like it doesn't matter what the weather is. People aren't there for the weather, I suppose. That's what that means. Bone. Tell me why I sometimes feel when the raindrops hit the windowsill A wanderlust that's hard to kill when I've flown way back home It's raining again in the mining town, of the ore is but dry At least it doesn't burn when you look it in the eye It's sort of seeing Queenstown as this amazing place but also seeing it as a happy place during boom times, but a sad place during busts. And being happy that the mine was still running, but being sort of sad at the same time as the destruction of some of the environment. And things aren't always black and white. You can be happy and, and sad about something. It's been again in the mining town, with the ore is all but dry. At least it doesn't burn. When you look it in the eye
5: One thing that I do know about the west coast of Tasmania, there are some fantastic poets around. They can tell the stories of the west coast, of different aspects of mining, the way people lived. And, and when you get start talking to, you know, ex-Wilmage certainly Queenstown and Dean people, they've all got their own stories to tell. And one way or another, once you're a West Coaster, irrespective whether you live there or not, once you're a West Coaster, you're, you're, you're always a West Coaster.
1: Minor Poets was produced by Malcolm McKinnon in collaboration with Annie Venables and Richard Wolfe. The sound engineer was Melissa May and the supervising producer, Michelle Rayner. We heard poetry, songs and stories from Richard Wolfe, Nick Haygarth, Kerry Maguire, Peter Winskill, Tony Newport, Kim McDermott and Ariel Pascoe. And just head to the History Listen webpage to see a great video and a series of photos about today's story. I'm Kirsty Melville, and I'll catch you next time. Bye for now. You've been listening
0: to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.